Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program, offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Joining us on the phone from all the way in another hemisphere. On the other side of the planet. From Australia. Sean O'Gorman. Sean, thanks for joining us on Law Enforcement Today's show. It's a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much, Jay. Pleasure being here. Really been looking forward to it. And we've been trying to work this out for a while. Uh, the big problem has been the time difference. You know, and I keep I have to write it down. It's a 14-hour difference. So uh, you are in the next day a full 14 hours ahead of us. That's correct, mate. It's uh, quite bizarre because I think, yeah, you're talking to me yesterday afternoon, my time, which is quite funny. It is. And so it's it's weird. But I'm, it's also very, very cool in a way. You know, this is where my geeky side comes out. It's very, very cool because I don't know if it was maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago. I couldn't imagine having a conversation where I'm recording an interview with someone in Australia that will be played on radio stations across the United States and our podcast and it'll be heard internationally. The technical aspect of that just really blows my mind. Yeah, I agree, mate, absolutely. Well, I can call you on, on my cell phone from the other side of the world, anywhere I am, and it's modern technology, mate. Two old guys like you and I, it's pretty mind-blowing. <laughs> it is. And we actually figured out how to do it. We don't need a 12-year-old to help us. We figured out it out on our own. Sean, by the way, is our latest addition of Law Enforcement Today family. He is our Australian correspondent, or I like the term ambassador, because really what we're doing here at Law Enforcement Today, on the show, on the website, lawenforcetoday.com, on our Facebook page and groups, is that we're trying to send and spread more positive messages about law enforcement officers. And we're finding out a lot of what we think are uniquely American experiences with law enforcement officers are not that they are worldwide and we're going to go into that a little bit later on first sean let's talk about your project you are known as the strong life project correct yeah that's correct jay absolutely it's uh 
Something that I've kicked off over uh, probably a couple of years ago, but only in the last seven or eight months have I moved into it as my full-time career, and very much based around helping police and military predominantly, but also blending out more into general society, helping people with their mental and emotional health and fitness, but with real focus on critical stress and PTSD for police and for military. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things that people say to me all the time. It's like they know I'm a retired police. And they know the law enforcement today show has something to do with law enforcement. And they're like, I'm not law enforcement. I don't know anybody that is. Why should I listen? And I always tell them, A, number one, every community has some law enforcement presence there. So it, it affects every community. Number two, I found that our guests on the show, their experiences, what they've been through, I can find inspiration not just what they've been through, but what they've achieved after these horrific events they've been through and how they've built the life they have, that inspiration we can all use. Absolutely, Jane. And one of the things that I love about what I do now is having been a police officer and, and we'll go into it, obviously, I was a canine handler for nine years and been through some uh, amazing experiences, some pretty hairy experiences that I loved. That seems to grab a lot of people's attention because it's something only a very, very few of us experience. But it's a human condition. Police officers are humans. We're not robots. So therefore, what we encounter from an emotional impact or a stress impact, a family impact, all of those things is exactly the same thing that a normal member of society, in inverted commas, as much as I don't like to use that term, will, will encounter the same thing because stress is one of the biggest problems we face in Western culture at the moment. So whether it's in relation to armed defenders or whether it's in relation to running a business or family pressures or financial pressures, it's all the same thing because it's a physiological response. It is. And I do everything in my power for a lot of reasons to avoid as much stress as possible and to find ways to manage it more effectively and to not get angry because I find that what happens is those things are triggers. They create a cascading series of events that I don't like how I become. And this is where people don't like, I work hard on managing my life and not letting my life manage me. I think that's a great word because uh, I'm exactly the same, Jay. I manage mine through, you know, some things we'll touch on, nutrition, sleep, meditation, all sorts of things that I never realized the physical impact of before. Because managing your life is no different than if you have a business or you have a family, you have your finances, you will manage those. You don't just let them drift along and hope it all turns out well. To me, a stress response or your mood, stress, mental health, mood, it's all the same thing. It's a chemical reaction. And if you've been a police officer for a period of time, then you will have some sensitivities. We see some things other people don't see. And uh, I'm really glad you brought up anger because anger, to me, is, is always my trigger. I know if I'm getting frustrated and angry, then that's you know a deep-seated bubbling over of what's going on for me, I guess is the best way to put it. The anger is a bit of a window to go, oh, I'm going down a rabbit hole or I'm, or I'm going down in a bit of a spiral perhaps into things that don't really need to be that much of a concern because often it's little things like somebody cutting me off in the traffic, which really, in the scheme of things, is not important. Right. It's, it's, it's someone I don't even know and uh, I don't care what they think of me. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm, like you said, spiraling into a place where I don't want to be. All this has come as a result of and we will talk about it. Result of your police work, that, that's why I do what I do. You started a foundation, for lack of better words, the Strong yes, Life my, Project. Yes, that, what is that? 
So the Strong Life Project is, um, is essentially me, but what it is is Strong is an acronym for living with strength, tenacity, resilience, optimism, nurturing, and generosity. As I say, if you live with those six attributes in your life, then you will live a re- what I call a strong life. So, I mean, your life will be, you'll be emotionally even, be very connected and loving to your family. You still have the strength and the tenacity to deal with obstacles in your life. For me, it's very much based towards alpha personalities, alpha males and alpha females, because law enforcement officers who are females are very much that alpha personality. Mm-hmm. And for us to be able to take the sort of personalities we are, and you don't even necessarily need to be law enforcement or military, but you're a strong alpha personality, and that comes with some challenges because the challenges are normally where the sort of people who, if you come across a problem, if we hit it and it doesn't break, if you use a door analogy, if you kick it once and the door doesn't break, you keep kicking it till you break it in. And that often isn't the best way to go through your life. It's also about understanding that we are 100% responsible for our own lives and our own outcomes. And I'm taking that out into recently, I've just, just done 45 to our presentations on critical stress to my old department, which has 12,000 sworn officers. And um, I'm starting, I'm doing some with the Australian Federal Police as an agency here, our corrections uh, department in the state I live in. So just going out into these sort of communities of really strong personalities and helping them understand how they can use that to their advantage, because I think that alpha personality can be brilliant dealing with conflict and dealing with difficulty, but can also be quite destructive in your own life. It sure can. You know, and you brought up a couple of things. First of all, you said we talked about if something doesn't move, like you'll kick it again, like a door, until it does. That reminds yeah. me of a saying I've become quite fond of. If the only tool I possess is a hammer, everything begins to look like a nail. So I've got to have other tools in my tool chest on how to live the kind of life I want to have instead of having one that's dominated by reliving emotional and mental stress and physiological responses from incidents that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. I love that saying, Matt, that hammer saying. That's fantastic. That's, that's right. And because as, as police, and soldiers are the same, obviously, as police officers, we very much, everything we approach, the background, that hypervigilance, hyperawareness, waiting for conflict. And, and get to a point where we actually, and I certainly did in my police career and in my life, was looking for that in a I enjoyed it. Yeah. So every situation I went into, if it meant there was a potential for conflict, then subconsciously I drive it towards that conflict. And being a canine handler, working on my own, I was in fistfights weekly and uh, dealing with some pretty violent offenders, violent criminals, obviously. But the big thing is understanding that these days I approach it, that guy still lives here, is how I best describe it. The The tough, hard potentially violent man still lives here if I need him. I've got him locked away in the box, I guess. And predominantly, I try to lead more with my heart, as, as out there as that sounds, but I lead with my heart to be more emotionally connected and loving to the people around me. And I find the response I get back is, is mind-blowing. I went to a horse race day for Police Legacy, which is our charitable organisation that raises money for police families, for police to die in the line of duty. And we had 600 police officers and associated people in a room at the horse races and raised thousands of dollars and for me to go back into that environment after having left with PTSD and suicide and things we'll talk about Jay, I went back into that, I used to be quite nervous, these days I go into it very uh, loving and connected to the community that I find I fit the most into being police officers 
And the response is overwhelming. Like men and women that I've seen before, if I lead in very emotionally connected, like, oh, it's so great to see you and quite open, like they hug at me and, oh, it's so good to see you. Thanks for the work you do. My experience dramatically changes. If I enter that sort of room with that wall up and the mask on that we all have as police, then everybody else has their mask up and none of us really connect and we lose that real family, brotherhood, sisterhood of police officers, which is unique. You're absolutely 100% right. Folks, we're talking with Sean O'Gorman. He is joining us on the phone worldwide from Australia. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Law Enforcement Today's show. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave online at honorthebrave.com. This is Globekeeper, the all-new platform revolutionizing law enforcement and security management. Globekeeper provides you and your team the ability to coordinate like never before using officers' personal smartphones. Globekeeper provides real-time situational awareness, interagency collaboration, plus security and compliance. Safety is priority number one. Manage officers, vehicles, GPS trackers, and cameras in one place. Share location, video, audio, pictures, and text between unlimited team members, command centers, and agencies. Globekeeper utilizes military-grade encryption. Lives are on the line. Can you afford to not have Globekeeper on your side? Get more details about Globekeeper online at globekeeper.com. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Galls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Galls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Galls.com today. We are back. This is Law Enforcement Today. The Law Enforcement Today show brought to you in part by Galls, G-A-L-L-S.com. Again, their website is G-A-L-L-S.com. They've been supplying first responders, police officers, law enforcement, public safety, firefighters for more than 50 years. And they got a huge selection of products that anybody can use from outerwear, boots, clothing, you name it. They got it at Gauls.com. And we here at Law Enforcement Today have lots of great contests. We've got prize giveaways from Gauls. Get more details on our Facebook page. Search for Law Enforcement Today. Click like when you get there. And also on our website as well, lawenforcementtoday.com. And when you have a chance, check out Galls at galls.com, G-A-L-L-S.com on Facebook and Instagram as well. Back to the conversation with Sean O'Gorman from, I believe you're in Queensland, Australia. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct, Joe. And that's where you you were a, a career police officer for, I say career, for many, many years. Do you classify yourself as a former police officer or retired, or what terminology do you use? 
Yeah, mate, that's changed over the years, actually. I used to call myself an ex-cop, which was um, really negative. Now I call myself a retired police officer. See, so that's it's, good. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's one of the few things I correct people on, you know, and I'm glad you don't use the term ex-cop anymore. When people say to me as ex-cop, I'll, say, I'll correct them. I'll say, no, that's retired. And when I say retired, you know, I'm retired on a disability, physical disability with a pension. And retirement means when you decide you're done. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a pension. So I'm glad you use the term retired instead of X. Well, X to me meant uh, when it's like 16 years ago when I left, because I was in a pretty bad way, obviously, with uh, the PTSD, mental trauma. Being X was, was probably how I coped with it because I was heartbroken to lose that career. Yeah. These days, I look at it very much as a retired police officer. Because I still very much feel like a police officer. I still have that same attitude. There's still the want to help people. Hence why I've started the Strong Life Project is that purpose of helping people, making a difference that we all join the police for. And that community of people is where I still fit the best because I think we're a very unique group of human beings on the planet, police officers, because it's, as my ex-wife said to me many, many times, she said, I don't understand how you can run towards the danger that other people run away from, and you love to do that. And I said, well, yeah, I guess that's pretty unique. So like, I like to be still associated with that group of amazing people. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of that became almost like uh, an addiction to the adrenaline. Yes. I, yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it. I, I was very much an adrenaline junkie for sure. Yeah, and, and I think it's also definitely the adrenaline junkie. I think that's part of it. But I also think you, I certainly became addicted to two things. The challenge of, of pushing myself where other people couldn't go, but also that knowing that that violence and the extreme situations we encounter, if somebody else didn't do that, then... Sorry, if I didn't do that, then who was going to right. do that? Very much that thin blue line mentality. And that was one of my biggest challenges when I left. It was And, and as self-important as this may sound, is I thought, well, if... I leave, who's going to take my place on that line? Because it's something I've dedicated my life to, and and who else can I trust to do the job the way I do it? Not that I was exceptional, but I think that's just how dedicated most police officers are to their job. And I think that most police I've met who who think that they're really good police usually are. And, uh, and with police work, there's so many aspects to it. The, the violence is only a, a small percentage. There's so much more of it exactly. that involves just dealing with people in horrible situations and trying to make it as best for them as you can and try to find uh, an outcome where some degree of justice is, is available. And that's beyond our capabilities a lot of times. But when I was a young man, I don't know if this is a case for you, before becoming a police officer, I didn't know if I was mentally or physically in my mind tough enough for that and i didn't know if i would hold up under the the pressure of the violence and then i found out that i was actually pretty good at it was that similar scenario for you yes sort of i had the advantage my my father was a police officer for 42 years and i worshiped my dad and he was very much my hero so i joined the police off the back of watching him and he was at one point, second most decorated officer in Australia for bravery. He's a pretty exceptional human and an exceptional police officer. So I was going into it thinking this will be so much fun, but I definitely had the fear and insecurity of what if I can't measure up to who he was. And fortunately, when I joined, we're good Irish Catholic background, and uh-huh. I think that comes with you, its own little bit you, of lunacy. <laughs> so uh, we, You we, said that we, right. 
you know, so uh, I think I came into the career suitably armed with a little bit of crazy that um, made me quite a good police officer. And I think was part of the issue why I ended up only doing 13 years because I went so hard at it because I just, some is good, more is better was my attitude. So I would, I would go to work on my days off. I would do hours of unpaid overtime and um, my dad very much the same. And funnily enough, he's been through his own PTSD and, and mental trauma journey since leaving the job. So, uh, but my, oh, yeah, I loved that. It. it was the best thing. When I got into it, I felt like I'd, got, I'd come home. Now, back in the early 90s, we almost never heard conversation from law enforcement no. anywhere about PTSD. It was accepted that military combat veterans had this. It was also accepted uh, medically, legally, that a lot of uh, sexual assault victims had this. But with police and law enforcement and first responders, at least in the United States, it was very much hush-hush. It's like, no, that's not an issue. We don't talk about it. We don't have that going on. It was all swept under the rug. Was that the case in Australia? Absolutely, Jay. And more so, probably even into, I left in 2002, on New Year's Eve, 2001, 2002. And even at that point, so when I went on, on sick leave, I had never known another police officer that went on stress leave. I'd never heard of a police officer leaving with post-traumatic stress disorder. That conversation wasn't here at all. And I think if I was to compare our two cultures, as much as I know about, about the US culture, the Australians, I think we have a bit more of a chip on our shoulder because of, uh, I think, having all come here as convicts in, in the early days of the early part of our, our history of our country. But we're also very much, we're pretty tough on people that stand out and we're pretty tough on what we perceive as weakness. But as far as I can see, not having lived in the States, you guys are a little bit more accepting of, of people who struggle or whatever. And I think it's great here now, but it wasn't then. So police were was very much like harden up and unfortunately I was I was one of those guys I was one of those guys in the 90s I was born in 1970 so you know through the through the 90s I was in my 20s and I was a million miles an hour partying hard drinking hard working hard mm-hmm. and if somebody you know showed a little bit of fear or a bit of weakness as an officer I was pretty brutal if I'm being honest and I'm, it's not something I'm proud of and these days now I'm traveling the state doing 40 of these talks to probably 12 or 1500 police. It's ironic to me that I stand and talk about a story in front of rooms full of people I don't know, but give the most intimate details of my life and my struggle that my best friend didn't know back then shows how much that culture has changed. It's amazing. And one of the things I've noticed, we're going to take a break here in this moment. One of the things I've noticed in, in my journey is that so much of what I thought was anger was actually fear that that anger was an anger and aggression was a symptom of underlying fear and so a lot of times you know if someone was acted in in a way they were cowering yeah we were we were rough on them but we didn't have the same attitude people who are angry and aggressive and i've learned such more since then we're going to talk about more about shauna gorman's police career in australia we're going to talk about some common misconceptions that people in the United States here have about Australia and vice versa. We'll talk about Strong Life Project and so much more. This is Law Enforcement Today. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This is Glowkeeper, the all-new platform revolutionizing law enforcement and security management. Glowkeeper provides you and your team the ability to coordinate like never before 
using officers' personal smartphones. OneKeeper provides real-time situational awareness, interagency collaboration, plus security and compliance. Safety is priority number one. Manage officers, vehicles, GPS trackers, and cameras in one place. Share location, video, audio, pictures, and text between unlimited team members, command centers, and agencies. Globekeeper utilizes military-grade encryption. Lives are on the line. Can you afford to not have Globekeeper on your side? Get more details about Globekeeper online at globekeeper.com. My name is Lola Silvestri, and I'm going to be 95 this year. I was very independent. I fell, and I had to have meals on wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Back to the conversation with Sean O'Gorman, retired uh, Queensland, Australia police officer. Sean, you are the founder. You're the man behind the Strong Life Project. I, I checked the website, the stronglifeproject.com, or has it got a .com.co.au or something behind it? No, just .com, mate, the stronglifeproject.com. I was, I was very uh, mindful that I would be want to come and do some things in the States, so I thought I'd make it easy. It does. It makes it so much easier for us here because I, I've become very American centric that I guess that I was phrasing or not that this is what we're used to here. So when they show a, a .co .uk or something on the end of a web address, I go, what the heck is that? I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Or they say, call international, yeah, do a plus whatever, plus four, four. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. You know, so yeah, with Strong Life Project, you do motivational speaking. You do critical incident stress debriefing training. And what else do you do? It's not actually debriefing training. So it's critical stress training, I call it. And essentially, Jay, it's emotional health and well-being for police, emotional and mental health and well-being. Why I call it critical stress? Because if I called it that, no police would turn up. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, as police officers, we, we love our, uh, our unemotional terminology. But it deals with the critical stress side. I do the keynote speaking. That's right. I do some one-on-one mentoring. And um, I do some operational stress management for corporates, so, so for businesses outside of policing. The, the thing for me, all of the stuff that I do is really just around helping people understand two things, that the stress and the impact as a police officer that you see, like the trauma and experience will have an impact on your life. There's not yeah. if, it will. It's, it's not, of, a, it's not a what if, it's, it's definitely going to happen. You're going to no. change. You have to. And you have to because physiologically, as humans, if you think of our body and mind as a, as a machine, it's a 200,000-year-old machine that was built to encounter the stress response of walking out of a cave and being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger. And if you beat it, great, you got away. If you didn't, that was the end of it, and that lasted 30 seconds. We're not physiologically and chemically built to deal with eight or ten hours of stress day in, day out for 20 years. So you need, we need to understand it will impact us. And we build more resilience. We build, we certainly become tougher. A lot of that is positive. I think probably 80% of it's positive. 20% is not if you don't manage it. And then the second part I want people to, to understand is that just because you're a police officer 
doesn't mean you can't be very emotionally connected and loving, have an amazing life with your family and friends. And the fact that, unfortunately, we've become so in such a um, hostage uh, mentality, I think, and, and that's probably not even the right term, but we feel so isolated from gen- the general public because all of the rhetoric, all of the discussion is very much, in my opinion, left-wing biased, vocal minority media that are so critical of police. Obviously, with you guys in the States and Australia, it's very much the same. I, I see. I didn't know that was the something. same in Australia. I, I, people seem to think that it's only that way here. But no, it's the same here. And it's really sad because let me give you a very innocuous example. A couple of days ago, one of the police agencies we have here is a female police officer driving in a marked patrol car talking on her mobile phone. And that spread like wildfire through social media. And uh, all of the armchair critics, oh, she should lose her job over that. She needs to be charged over that. Why do I get a ticket for that? And she doesn't. And that makes my blood boil. Because I go, well, under the traffic, the traffic act in that particular jurisdiction, she's exempt from not using a mobile phone. And I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same over there, but here, if you use your mobile phone and you drive, it's a massive thing where it's being very much treated almost like um, driving under the influence. Very few people came out and were like, well, we don't know what she's doing. Maybe she's receiving critical information for a job she's attending. Right. Perhaps it's, it's you know, something else very important. And to me, that just demonstrates the difference between when I was in the police, I joined in 1989 to now, so obviously very close to 20 years later, is when I joined, I think there was an underlying respect for police officers. And this is controversial, but I believe there was an underlying respect for one reason, because respect and fear are next-door neighbours. So when if somebody respects someone, normally there's a fear-based element of that when you come to law enforcement, military, a school teacher, a parent, because if you do something, that personal body will then enact some sort of punishment or consequence. Right. And my belief these days is I don't think the general public has any healthy fear or respect for police because often if a police officer engages with a suspect, as you guys call it, or an offender, as we call it, you engage with a human that is behaving poorly, the police officer comes under more scrutiny for their action than, than the criminal. It's and the that's same thing here. And the way the news media is here yeah. is, like, for example, the headlines always start with the final action. Police officer shoots man. It doesn't talk about the choices that that man made. The man decided he was going to rob a bank. And he had prior arrests. He had prior convictions. He knew what he's looking at. It it doesn't talk about that. It just goes right to the the end of the story first. And it's always portrayed in a negative towards policing. We had one here recently, not far from where I'm today. And and there was two police officers went to an address. And a very long story short, there's an outlaw motorcycle gang. An affiliate member, but he's a member, and he went to his ex-girlfriend's house with a carving knife to her parents' house as part of a domestic, obviously, to try and enact some fairly serious harm on them. He wasn't going for a chat, and two police officers turned up. He came at them. They retreated 60 metres down the street, tased him a number of times, and eventually shot and killed him. And the, the headline on the front page of the paper and on the news media was, Police Officer Gunned Down Man in Suburban Street. And I look at that and it makes my blood boil because what it should read is vicious criminal taken out by police fearing for their lives. Right. That's the reality of the situation. That's a more accurate portrayal. If if you talk about someone being gunned down, Jay, in my opinion, that's criminals gun each other down. Somebody who kills someone guns them down. A police officer who has to take someone else's life 
is creating a situation for them that's going to impact them for a long time. And as we all know as, as cops, not one of us join this job because we go, oh, what do you want to do? Oh, I can't wait to shoot someone. Like, that's a ridiculous thought process that police are heavy-handed and go out looking to inflict harm and violence on other people. That's just not the case. It's not. And I, I can tell you from my own experience that all the shooting situations I was in, I, I didn't – I know now why at first, two I didn't return a shot. You know, at the time, it was just yep. an instantaneous decision based on what's happening. But the truth is, no one, myself included, wanted to be shooting anybody. And we damn sure didn't want to be shot at ourselves. Yep. Yep. As a matter of fact, I I was getting angry when when I was getting shot. I was like, you don't even know me. (laughs) You're trying to kill me. You don't even know who I am. That's exactly the point. And I was in the same, I was in a shooting here where we were in a pursuit and and two guys were shooting at us with a rifle and put 24 rounds in the front of the shooting vehicle in front of me and... And they shot, mine ended up on foot chasing him down through a pedestrian mall and they both shot themselves in front of us. And I didn't get a chance to take a shot because there was other people around. Right. And one of the things that I was, it, it impacted me definitely. One of the things I was very grateful for was that I didn't have to take that shot. The other part that really concerned me was it's that fear of should I have taken it earlier? Should I have taken that risk? What if they hurt someone else? It's second guessing. Absolutely. And all of this impact that we go through as police officers that the general public don't Sorry, that's not fair. The vocal minority of the general public don't consider. I still believe the great majority of the public support police, or at the very least, least they're neutral to what police do. I think because so. Because in a I lot of ways, right. I love Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman's sheepdog analogy, because I think it's, that's fantastic. It explains, as you guys know better than me, it's very much a US thing, that you know we are the sheepdogs that live amongst the sheep, but... People don't really want us there, but we're a necessary evil. They'd rather we blend in. Would be nice if and we weren't needed, but I, we are needed. You know, and speaking of sheepdogs, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. The Australian sheepdog is an American breed. Bred here in the United yes, States. I didn't know that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Sean Orgorman from Australia. You listen to Law Enforcement Today. We'll be right back. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Galls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Galls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Galls.com today. If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave online at honorthebrave.com. This is Globekeeper, the all-new platform revolutionizing law enforcement and security management. Globekeeper provides you and your team the ability to coordinate like never before using officers' personal smartphones. Globekeeper provides real-time situational awareness, interagency collaboration, plus security and compliance. Safety is priority number one. Manage officers' vehicles, GPS trackers, and cameras in one place. Share location, video, audio, pictures, and text 
between unlimited team members, command centers, and agencies. Globekeeper utilizes military-grade encryption. Lives are on the line. Can you afford to not have Globekeeper on your side? Get more details about Globekeeper online at globekeeper.com. Back to the conversation with Sean O'Borman, retired Queensland, Australia police officer, founder of Strong Life Project. Uh, interesting conversation. You know, we're going to have to do this again because there's so many topics that we're not going to have time for in this episode of Law Enforcement yeah, Show. One of the things that I, I got to admit that I was kind of oblivious to was the amount of violence that permeates Australian policing that, you know, again, this is portrayed in the media here in the United States as being a uniquely American problem that, you know, it's uh, the police's fault that so many people are violent against them and that they have to use violence and, and use of force in return. We have heaps so much violence, and but not to the same extent firearm violence is as the U.S., because obviously your Second Amendment and all those things, but we don't have that same right to bear arms or conceal carry and different things. And to be really honest with you, part of me wishes we did, uh, especially as a, as a retired police officer. I, I would um, probably conceal carry myself if I had the opportunity, because I just believe that leaves me in an opportunity that if I'm in a situation where somebody is armed and we have a lot of illegal handguns on the streets here in Australia, you, wait, wait, I, wait. Uh, we always hear myself, we always hear in the United States that they that since guns became illegal in Australia that they vanished, they don't exist anymore. There's no more gun violence. None uh, of that is an issue anymore. Absolute BS. Absolute BS. That's peddled. That's very much peddled by the by the left in the states. From what I see, when I see the rhetoric around the Australian gun culture, they they, they actually have no idea. I, uh, I have a lot of great friends who are still operational police officers. And there's one place where I'm very close to here, the Gold Coast in Australia, which a lot of people associate Australia with, that uh, Glamour Strip, and, and police officers there are taking handguns off people daily. We have outlaw motorcycle gang members. We have some strong Middle Eastern communities in Sydney, Western Sydney where gun violence is very prevalent. I'd say probably at least two to three times a week we have shootings in in that part of Sydney with gang violence and, and rivals. on Even around here on the Gold Coast and in Brisbane, we have you know a reasonable amount of gun violence. And the difference to understand from us to you is we have 24 million people, you have 330 million people. So obviously there will be a lot more incidents in the States and it's a similar type size landmass. So when people, oh, America has so much more gun violence, well, you also have you know, over a hundred times more people. So that that's just a statistical anomaly as well. The violence here, I think, uh, is probably, let's say the incidence of hand, uh, handgun violence, person on person, is probably less, but there's still a lot of guns here. Nowhere near as, much, as many as there used to be since Port Arthur and the gun amnesty in the early 2000s. It's still very much something our police officers deal with all the time. And we, we had a police officer killed here 12 months ago, not far from where I am, by a uh, individual, is how I'll clean it up best I can, mm-hmm. with an AK-47 and uh, a fully automatic AK. And he, he lit up two police officers that were following him because he was wanted for some violent offences and shot and killed an officer called Brett Fort. And we had another one probably two or three years prior to that on the Gold Coast, Damien Leading, a detective, went to an armed hold-up at a 
well, we call it a pub, so like a tavern, and he, a bar, he went for an arm's hold up there, and the guy came out and shot him with a shotgun. So still plenty of gun violence. And it, I'm glad you told me that. But that's also, you know, I have a lot of guests on the show who survived extreme violence. Uh, we've had guests that were shot multiple times. We have guests whose spouses were killed in the line of duty. Uh, by accident, mm. by by vehicular homicide, by gun, mm. and it's a conversation that is even to this day very difficult for me to have because it's people say that and you go, I don't, I don't know how to respond. You know, it's, I I know yeah. it occurs, yeah. and I I know what happened to me when one of my friends is killed in line of duty. I know how it affected yeah. me and still affects me, and I still mm. can't begin to imagine what their families have gone through and are going through now. And it's such a difficult one, Jay, isn't it? And I, I find from the, the Brett Ford that was killed here, I didn't know him. I never worked with him. His father was a police officer and had worked with my dad, so uh, not that I'd ever met his, his father. When that occurred, I um, sent his wife's a police officer. I reached out to her and just sent her a Facebook message and said, listen, look, I don't know you, but I, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. If there's anything I can never do, please let me know. So let her know what I do. And to me, I think that's the best way for us to handle those sort of things, you know, officer-involved shooting, line of, death duty, line of duty death, sorry, whether it's vehicular, whether it's whatever. And to me, even down to the simple things, Jay, of, of, and not that it's any less impactful for the family, but a police officer who's, who dies of cancer and, and is a parent or your know, husband or a wife, similar thing. It's different impact because it's not a violence at the hand of someone else. But still, as a family of police officers worldwide, I believe the best way that we can handle that sort of trauma and grief, the same way as PTSD and mental trauma, is talk about it and just be connected and more open with each other and literally be, you know, I, I can't for a second understand what you've gone through, but I'm here to talk if you want to talk. Right. Or I'm just here if you want me to hug you or, or whatever it might That's be. That's what I do. I, I've accepted the fact that I feel awkward and I don't know what to say. And Correct. quite honestly, what happens too often, and I've done it, and I, I, I get it when other people do it, is they don't know what to do or say, or they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing, so they, they just break off contact. And then that person yes. on the other end, whether it be a law enforcement officer, a surviving member of the family, feels isolated and alone and abandoned. And that's certainly not helpful. So I just go, I'm just, exactly. I'm just me. I'm just going to be your friend. We'll talk about fishing. We'll talk about football. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Exactly. And for me, it's, when we say, I don't, like, I really don't know what to say, because there is nothing we can say. Right. There's actually nothing that can be said that will lessen the impact of that for that person, that emotional tragedy. And to be able to say to that person, look, I really don't know what to say, their response, well, you know, when I've been in that situation, their response is, well, there's nothing to say. What can you say? And it's the simplicity to me, Jay, whether it's somebody who's been killed in the line of duty, whether it's a police officer who's struggling with mental trauma or injury themselves because that's the same isolation, I um, just to give an example of how I think we best handle it. Recently, I've uh, I received a Facebook message from a police officer here, who's from a different jurisdiction than I worked in. I didn't know her. She sent me a message and said, "I'm struggling. Thanks, what you do." And to, I was going to a place near where she was. She was actually in hospital at the time. And I said, "Look, I'm going to be there tomorrow. By coincidence, do you want to visit her?" And she said, "Yep." So I dropped in and we just and we just talked about it. You know, I said, "Look, I really found it tough, and I was isolated and I struggled, and it was." It was horrible. She said, yeah, I feel that. I said, look, that's totally normal. What mm -hmm. you're going through is very normal. And, you know, don't think that there's something wrong with you. Don't think that, 
you know, nobody else goes through it. So many of us do. We just don't talk about it. So whether it's a mental injury stuff, whether it's the, the trauma for the family, the surviving family member or the law enforcement officer who's had to take someone's life, or my, my dad had to shoot and kill a guy from an armed robbery in pursuit in 1978, still causes him problems today. He still thinks about it because that, none of that is normal. None of what we see is normal. So there can't be a normal conversation. And I think if we all acknowledge that all we can do for each other is be emotionally supportive, then the conversation becomes less important and that emotional connection is then what we bring to the fore. I think that's the key. And what a radical concept. I'm being sarcastic here. Uh, maybe it's my Irish Absolutely. Catholic coming out. It's like, hey, instead of being judgmental and jumping down someone's throat, to just be there and you know try to be a friend and listen. That's a radical concept. I, just uh, listen. I, it is, but I did a uh, presentation recently to a group of officers in charge of our prosecutions units here where in for Queensland Police and I know there's probably 100 officers. And I said to them, they wanted me to talk a bit about leadership. So I talk about mental, you know, mental health and critical stress. So I talk about resilience and I talk about leadership. And I said to them in my first slide, I said, leadership is giving a crap about the people who work for you. Yeah. Like I said, that's yeah. pretty simple. That's all it is. If we care about each other, if we actually are invested in the other person, how they are, how they feel, what's impacting them, then leadership takes care of itself. If you're a great leader of humans, it's because you care and people will follow you into a burning building because they love you and they are inspired by you. And we all have that ability as, as human beings that we're a pack animal. Yep. We take that away from ourselves by shutting ourselves off. And it, to me, it's crazy. And it's certainly not beneficial to, to isolate. And uh, unfortunately, that isolation right now, there, there are people listening that you know could be law enforcement people, that could be military, that could be spouses that are going through really, really dark times. And one of the first things they'll do is they'll, they'll isolate emotionally from their loved ones and people that really mm-hmm. matter. Then they'll start feeling disconnected. They'll they'll start increasing their problems with uh, substance abuse, but you know drowning it out with yeah. alcohol and or prescription medication, which quite often yeah. for many folks creates even more nightmares that will turn around and put that person in a worse situation and possibly even a life-threatening situation. We're going to have to wrap it up. Sean O'Gorman, uh, Australian ambassador for law enforcement today, strong life project founder. Give your website address one more time. So that's uh, www.thestrongliveproject.com. And uh, I've got, podcasts and articles i've got a book i've written all sorts of things on there so if your guys go and have a look at that uh, they hopefully can find some information that might help them live a happier life and that's what it's all about and when you get over to the united states you we're gonna have to get together and uh, also please pass a word uh, to all of our brothers and sisters in blue over there in australia their family members if they ever need a platform to come talk they want to tell their story we here at law enforcement today are open and i'd love to do that Fantastic, Jay. We will definitely do that, and I'd love to come back on and talk more. And I intend to be in the States sometime in the the next 12 months. So we will definitely come over and um, catch up. Thanks, Jay. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. One of the questions I get all the time, what is your show all about? And it's not what most people would think. It's not confrontational. 
You know how Investigation Discovery Channel has all these shows about investigations and people have a curiosity about police? Well, we feature police officers, law enforcement officers, active, retired, spouses, family members, and supporters talking about their experiences from their point of view. If you want to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a great guest but you know doesn't want to say, uh, I don't want to seek attention myself, we'd love to hear from them. And we'd accommodate them from anywhere. It doesn't matter where they are. We're in Florida. They, don't, they could be anywhere. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Oregon, doesn't matter. We can uh, record them here at our studios in South Florida. Yeah. So just contact us. The easiest way is go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, the contact us tab. Send an email to me, jay at lawenforcementtoday.com or robert at lawenforcementtoday.com. You can also send a message via Facebook. We're all over this thing called the World Wide Web, Instagram and all that stuff too. On behalf of everyone associated with law enforcement today, I'm John J. Wiley. Till next time, see ya. See ya.